episode of Comic Book Movie Guy, the podcast. Motivational speeches. Featuring your host, Brennan Huber. Great moments are born from great opportunity. And that's what you have here tonight, boys. That's what you've earned here tonight. One game. If we played them ten times, they might win nine. Not this game. Not tonight. Tonight, we skate with them. Tonight, we stay with them. And we shut them down because we can. Tonight, we are the greatest hockey team. You were born to be hockey players. Every one of you. And you were meant to be here tonight. This is your time. Their time is done. It's over. I'm sick and tired of hearing about what a great hockey team the Soviets have. Screw them. This is your time. Now go out there and take it. How's it going, everyone? This is Comic Book Movie Guy, the podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Huber. And today, I wanted to start this banger of an episode off with Herb Brooks in the movie Miracle. That's Kurt Russell playing... None other than Herb Brooks, the coach of the men's USA national team back when the Soviets were dominating the Olympics and dominating just basically everyone. I remember the Soviets went to New York City and played in Madison Square Garden in that movie and beat the New York Rangers. So for a bunch of college kids coming together to play against the titan that was the Soviets... And Ladislav Tretiak, the goalie, who was at the time second to none, that speech at the end of the movie, just before they're about to go on the ice for the gold medal game, from that's delivered from Kurt Russell, is one of the all-time greatest motivational sports speeches that I can think of. And that's why I put it at the very start of this episode. It just, especially if you've played hockey, you know, and you just, the way he delivers that speech, you're fired up. You're ready to lace him up and just hop over the boards and go play the hardest working shift of your life. After hearing that just goosebump worthy speech and monologue from Kurt Russell playing Herb 
Brooks. And sadly, Herb Brooks passed away before he could see this movie, um, which is sad, but at the same time, his legacy lives on. It's a very good movie. I highly recommend Disney's Miracle. I just do. It's just a cool story about a bunch of college kids who, even though some of them are rivals, who have had like bad blood in the past, they still come together as one uh, for the greater cause, which is, you know, in a very political time as well, the United States taking on the Soviets in a wild tournament. And the way that the movie is shot and just the wooden hockey sticks and the time and the jerseys and the CCM helmets, you know, the, the U.S. colors were just really cool and the Soviets were the bright red. And it's just like... I just love the way the movie's shot. They really, they put you on the ice, essentially, the whole time that, like any time that they're actually shooting scenes with hockey involved, you're on the ice. They take you through practices. They take you into games. They take you in, like, I'll forever remember the bag skate scene in that movie. Like, Herb Brooks puts them all on the line after a complete game where they tied Finland. It was like 3-3. They tie them, and then Herb Brooks completely loses his shit on his team because they were distracted. And he makes them do suicides for basically the entire night to the point where the equipment owner, or the owner of the the rink, he's trying to lock up. And they leave the keys behind because he's still skating these kids. And then there's a scene where the... The guy who eventually becomes the captain of the U.S. national team. He kind of, they can barely breathe. Their, Herb is asking them to keep going. You know, he's got his other coach there and he kept, he keeps yelling again, 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 you know, and they're every time. So they're at the point where guys are throwing up. They can't even stand. And, you know, it just, it gets to this point and then, Michael Rosioti, Boston University. Who do you play for? I play for the United States of America. That'll be all, gentlemen. Oh, it's such a good film. I highly recommend Miracle. Let's get into the next motivational speech. Greatest. I know all about it, Titus. What are you talking about, Bill? You call this game fair, or I'll go to the papers. I don't care if I go down with you. But before God, I swear I'll see every last one of you thrown in jail. You dig your own grave. Defense on me! Okay, Petey, don't you drift to the strong side. Coach, they're calling a holding penalty on me every time. Did I ask for your excuses? You want to act like a star? You better give me a star effort, do you hear me? Forget about him! Alan! You're in! Come on! All right. Now, I don't want them to gain another yard. You blitz all night! And if they cross the line of scrimmage, I'm gonna take every last one of you out. You make sure they remember forever the night they played the Titans. What? Leave no doubt! 
make yourself comfortable down there. Real comfortable. The best. Disney does the very best. Now that is Remember the Titans featuring Denzel Washington. And that speech that you hear is the breaking point for the assistant coach, Coach Yost. And he basically is, he's taking care of his side of things the whole year to sort of take accountability for the defense and not collaborate with the head coach, Denzel Washington. Of course, this is all happening during a time where two schools are integrated together and you have the blacks and the whites. And that's that's the main sort of topic of the movie is the race. Um, what do you call that one? The merger, essentially, of the two schools coming together and just how difficult that was for the white players to accept black players on their team. And it carries through to the coaches as well, where you see... Yost and Coach Boone, Denzel Washington's character, basically not get along for three quarters of the movie. And this is the turning point because they're playing their rivals. They're playing a big game that's going to decide a lot about where they go in the next stage of their playoff run. And the refs are not calling the game fair. They're calling, they're basically throwing the game against the Titans. And I'll just never forget that speech from Coach Yost where he just, you know, you blitz all night <laughs> and the players. And I left that little bit at the end in there where you just hear the results of that speech where his team just completely destroys the other team by blitzing. And now I'm not a football guy. I never really have been. But this is a football movie that I just I could watch any day of the week it really doesn't matter. I, it could be on at any point. And it's just one of those feel-good, really awesome stories about a group that was going through some really uncomfortable times and they came together despite what the other person looked like. And that's sort of the main point of Remember the Titans. But that speech, that sideline speech from Coach Yost will forever be, you know, ingrained in my memory as one of the best motivational speeches for a team of all time so that's why i threw that in there so that's two points essentially for disney so far um and that's maybe a big reason why i love disney so much even in my childhood watching you know anything from the lion king to mulan there's all kinds of really good monologues in there and they carry through to their live action movies and they carry through into these real real life sort of true story retellings of these awesome events that occurred so i will forever remember the titans and let us move on to the next motivational speech that i have lined up for you guys see those little black boxes they're called telephones i'm gonna let you on a little secret about these telephones they're not gonna dial themselves okay without you they're just worthless hunks of plastic like a loaded m16 without a trained marine to pull the trigger and in the case of the telephone, 
It's up to each and every one of you, my highly trained Stratonites, my killers, my killers who will not take no for an answer, my fucking warriors who will not hang up the phone until their client either buys or fucking dies! tell you something. There is no nobility in poverty. I have been a rich man and I have been a poor man and I choose rich every fucking time. Because at least as a rich man, when I have to face my problems, I show up in the back of a limo wearing a $2,000 suit and a $40,000 gold fucking watch. thinks I'm superficial or materialistic, go get a job at fucking McDonald's because that's where you fucking belong. But before you depart this room full of winners, I want you to take a good look at the person next to you. Go on. Because sometime in the not-so-distant future, you're going to be pulling up to a red light and you beat up old fucking Pinot, and that person's going to be pulling up right alongside you in that brand-new Porsche with that beautiful wife by their side who's got big voluptuous tits. <laughs> and who are you gonna be sitting next to? Some disgusting wildebeest with three days of razor stubble and a sleeveless muumuu crammed in next to you in a car load full of groceries from the fucking Price Club. That's who you're gonna be sitting next to. So you listen to me and you listen well. Are you behind on your credit card bills? Good, pick up the phone and start dialing. Is your landlord ready to evict you? Good. Pick up the phone and start dialing. Does your girlfriend think you're a fucking worthless loser? Good. Pick up the phone and start dialing. I want you to deal with your problems by becoming rich. All you have to do today is pick up that phone and speak the words that I have taught you. And I will make you richer than the most powerful CEO in the United States of fucking America. I want you to go out there and I want you to ram Steve Madden's stock down your clients' throats till they fucking choke on it. Yeah. Till they choke on it and they buy a hundred thousand shares. That's what I want you to do. Yeah. You be ferocious. You be relentless. You be telephone fucking terrorist. Yeah. Now let's knock this motherfucker out of the park. Ooh, wow. That is Mr. Jordan Belfort, a.k.a. Leonardo DiCaprio. I really thought this was going to be Leo's year. Back in 2013 when this came out, this was a Christmas movie that came out, The Wolf of Wall Street. And it follows Jordan Belfort's life and just all of the trouble that he got into. And, you know, he, he laundered money from the FBI uh, investigation all the way to his wild deals with Steve Madden. Steve Madden, as Jonah Hill would say. Jonah Hill was only paid $60,000 for his role. And let's be honest, I still say that 
it helped his career because like he was in movies with Brad Pitt. He was in all kinds of things. Quentin Tarantino, he did a project with. It it gets you that credibility working with Martin Scorsese and Leonardo DiCaprio. So I just, that speech is in here because it drives the point home. That is Martin Scorsese film at its best right there. And that is Leonardo DiCaprio at its best. At his best, if you will. (laughs) He's, He's just, Leo's at his best when he's screaming at the top of his lungs, in my opinion. Because he's just a force. And it's funny because Stratton Oakmont, the company that he builds in that movie, it's based off of a lion, you know? Like Stratton Oakmont, they use a lion. And I really find his work in that movie to be lion-like. It's ferocious. You know, he mentions in that monologue, you be ferocious. And that's what I see in Leonardo DiCaprio in The Wolf of Wall Street. Truly. Uh, It's one of my favorites. And it's kind of a daunting movie for a lot of people because it's, I think it's like three hours or three and a half hours. So it's a long one. But it's our first major introduction to Margot Robbie. And that's what really matters isn't it you know like 23 24 year old Margot Robbie and she was great and that was the best part that's the best part about a movie like The Wolf of Wall Street is a director can discover a muse like Margot Robbie and I just think of guys like Quentin Tarantino uh, with Uma Thurman like that was his muse Um, and the Safdie brothers with what's her name I can't think of it. Julia Fox. Yeah, like every director ends up finding their their go-to female to use. And Margot Robbie sure punched her card for Hollywood with her debut in Wolf of Wall Street. And Leonardo DiCaprio, like I said, didn't win the Oscar for this one. He ended up winning winning for The Revenant a year or two later. And, you know, as as deserved as that performance was, I really thought that he should have won it for... Jordan Belfort. On the topic of ferocity or being ferocious, I'm going to kind of segue on in to this next motivational speech. This is where we hold them. This is where we fight. This is where they die. And the shield boys. Remember this day, man. It will be yours for all time. Spartans, lay down your weapons.
Good old Jerry. Good old Jerry Butler. Gerard Butler as King Leonidas in 300. That's a movie that is non-stop ferocity from Mr. Zack Snyder. I don't care what I do on this podcast. I seem to always end up talking about Zack Snyder's content in one way or another. He's just one of my favorite filmmakers and he has been for a very long time. I just really like his style. It's nothing more than that because he's not like, he doesn't use these like wild storylines where he's got crazy good writing or something. I mean, 300 is some of his best work writing-wise. Like, whoever wrote 300, I don't know if it was Zach. I know Zach was heavily involved with that, and he directed 300. But there's some really good one-liners. It was actually, I knew I was going to use part of 300 for this podcast because I just, whenever I think of motivation, I think of Gerard Butler in 2007. <laughs> it's essentially what you think of. Like, that, that guy got ripped like absolutely ripped for this movie and he felt like a king. You know, there's a lot of movies that do these ancient timelines, if you will. You know, you talk about the Greeks or Greek gods or whatever the case is. And this, like 300 does deal with Greek gods. They deal with Xerxes and, you know, he was the half-god or demigod or considered himself a demigod. And they deal with minor mythology Essentially, it was the Persians versus versus the Spartans, and the Persians were the ones following Xerxes. And it's hard to imagine anybody else as King Leonidas other than Gerard Butler, because it had to be a very, very powerful performance. And it's a performance that will go under the radar if it's not shown to people in the future here, you know? Like, it's one of those movies that may slip through the cracks eventually. But 300 is the perfect example of sort of Greek motivation, if you will. I think of it more as, like, King Leonidas is the most badass character you can think of, and Gerard Butler got himself about as jacked as you possibly can imagine, and the ferocity behind his voice as King Leonidas, is what really drives home the point and the message in the speeches. And it makes you want to go into battle with King Leonidas because he's going to lead the damn way. Let's move on. Sons of Scotland, I am William Wallace. William Wallace is seven feet tall. Yes, I've heard. He kills men by the hundred. And if he were here, he'd consume the English with fireballs from his eyes. Bolts of lightning from his arse. <laughs> I am William Wallace. And I see a whole army of my countrymen here in defiance of tyranny. You've come to fight as free men. And free men you are. What will you do without freedom? Will you fight? Right? Against that? No! We will run! And we will live. Aye. Fight and you may die. Run and you'll live. At least a while. 
and dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance, to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom! can take our land, but they'll never take our freedom. Braveheart. Mel Gibson. He won the Oscar for this one. And rightfully so. Braveheart is... It is charged by its score. Braveheart has one of the best scores in cinema. It's beautiful. And pair it with the sort of Scottish-Irish landscape that they used while shooting. It's a gorgeous movie, and you really do get immersed in that uh, that era of time with William Wallace. And Mel Gibson, you know, that was, that was the movie for me that really impressed me with Mel Gibson and kind of made me pay attention to him a little bit more. You know, he's a... I really don't know how to describe Mel Gibson... Because he's in all kinds of different comedies and stuff right now. Like, he's just having this really chill, laid-back career. But when he came onto the scene, he was a force. You know, you think of Mad Max. Like, that's Mel Gibson. You think of Braveheart. Passion of the Christ, if you go into his directing. And Hacksaw Ridge. He's quietly a very, very good, talented filmmaker... And he's quietly one of the better actors of a generation in a way. I mean, Braveheart... Braveheart's a classic. And it's extremely violent. But it's like... I don't know. There's just... There's something about Braveheart. There's a payoff there with that character. Even though it doesn't go the way that you'd want it to go with William Wallace. He's just... He's a real hero. And he's just like... He's not afraid of death and you're rooting for a guy who just, he believes what he believes and the entire movie, he's just so cool and the for some reason, the hairstyle and the Scottish kilt and everything that Mel Gibson wore with sort of these like, he had really inflated forearms, like he really got jacked for this role. You pair that with his giant sword and the blue painting that the Scottish used to put on their face during war and stuff, it makes for a really cool look on a really cool character. And Mel Gibson just naturally has these really piercing blue eyes. And I just thought they worked really, really well with William Wallace as a character. It just gave him that defining feature, that final touch that sort of made him one of the all-time characters and one of the best movies of the last century for sure because Braveheart is you know it's it's world renowned as one of the better movies that we know of <laughs> you know like it's it won the Oscars it did everything that it was supposed to and 
watching the movie. It's not one of those movies that I'm like annoyed at that it won the Oscar. It, it feels well-deserved when you watch it. And I just thoroughly enjoy Mel Gibson's performance. And the fact that he directed that movie, I believe it was his directorial debut as well. It's just impressive overall. And I had to put that in there. You can't not do the freedom cry from Mel Gibson when you're doing motivational speeches. So I hope you guys have enjoyed this little episode on motivational speeches. I know I have. I'm going to end today's episode with a very special clip. One that just, for some reason, will always stick with me. And of course, it's a Batman clip. And of course, it's the ending of The Dark Knight. So please enjoy the end of this podcast, as I know I will, very much so. So we'll talk to you guys on the next one. I've been Comic Book Movie Guy. Take care. I killed those people. That's what I can be. No, no, you can't. You're not. I'm whatever Gotham needs me to be. Call it in. A hero. Not the hero we deserved, but the hero we needed. Nothing less than a knight. Shining. I'll hunt you. You'll hunt me. You'll condemn me. Set the dogs on me. Because that's what needs to happen. Because sometimes truth isn't good enough. Sometimes people deserve more. Sometimes people deserve to have their faith rewarded. Because we have to chase him. Okay, we're going in! Go, go! Move! He didn't do anything wrong. Because it's the hero Gotham deserves. But not the one it needs right now. So we'll hunt him. Because he can take it. He's not our hero.